know we're in uh, a series on the letter to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians really um, are the inhabitants of Ephesus, all right? And uh, if you're new to the Christian faith or new around here, we use the Bible to train us and teach us what Jesus wants for our lives, what God's desire for us is. And uh, the book of Ephesians is a letter from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a a pioneer church planter, and he was writing to this fledgling group of Christians in what is now modern Turkey. Ephesus is no longer there. Um, the, 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 it's just ruins. And, and, but they, in, in that day, it was a port city. It was alive and thriving. There was a lot of commerce, a lot of culture. And this was a, probably a circular letter that kind of went to several churches, several fledgling communities that were just meeting together and trying to establish themselves. And so uh, Paul is, is not addressing a problem. He's addressing what it looks like to live life in Christ Jesus as people who are surrendered to him. And so it is a rich, deep book, and I'm, I'm loving our study. And last week, uh, we started in chapter 2, and uh, it, was, it was really good. We, we did 10 verses, and I just couldn't let go of the last four verses because we didn't get very long on it. So I'm going to talk again about the, the, the second chapter of Ephesians, verse 6 through 10. Verse 6 through 10, because this is about grace, And I just don't think we have a a deep enough understanding of what grace really is, right? So we're going to talk about that today. Let's pray over the word. Father, let the word come alive in us. Let it penetrate our minds, our souls, our hearts. Let the word of God have its, really its perfect work in us by the Holy Spirit to challenge us to coach us, to convict us, and then to give us the grace to obey. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is good news for you and for me. And, and God raised us up with Christ. All right? So the beginning of the chapter says, We were dead in our transgressions and our sinfulness. Dead. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. And what's wrong with our culture is people are walking around spiritually dead and they're just trying to do anything so they can feel more alive. So they fill their lives with all kinds of garbage, all kinds of trash, all kinds of things that that they think will make them feel better, but in the end only continues them in their death. And so it's, I said last week, it's really hard to live as a dead person, right? Because you keep trying to fill your, fill your life with things that make you feel alive, but you can't. Jesus is the only one. And so when you come to Christ, what happens in us as we come to him is God raises us from death to life. And that's what this is about right here, verse six. We're raised up from death to life with Christ, Chapter 1 was all about Christ ascending to the highest place over all power, over all authority and dominion. It is focused and centered in Christ. God is over all and in all and through all. And the first chapter says that, that God is trying to fill every part of the universe with Jesus Christ himself. 
That's, pretty, that's a pretty cool idea, that he's trying to fill every part of the universe with Jesus himself. And that's why Jesus wants to fill our lives. This is the purpose of God. And to, to embrace us in a relationship with him. And that's why Ephesians keeps talking about being united with Christ. And so God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The scripture says that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Being seated means the work is done. Being seated means I've already done the work, now I'm sitting down. I'm kicking back. I'm enjoying myself. I don't know what it is when I work with my boys around the house. We're working and they always want to take a rest before the work's done. They go, Dad, I'm tired. I want to go sit down for a few minutes. No, got to get the work done. Christ got the work done and then was seated. Last week's message was titled, Have a Seat. If you missed it, go, go to check it out at the podcast. It's really an important idea. And we talked about how when we're seated in Christ, what, how it affects our prayer life, how it affects our perception of life in general, and how we pray from heaven and not from earth. We don't just pray from a limited point of view or a myopic point of view. We pray from where Christ is and our place with him our position in him. Now watch, he says in verse seven, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. The incomparable riches of his grace. There's nothing that compares to his grace. There's nothing as good as his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through Faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's three ideas in this little passage, grace, faith, and works. I want to try to see if we can't, I can, I'm not going to cover them in depth. What's going to happen is I'm going to provoke you to some thoughts I'm going to provoke your way of thinking and hopefully open the doorway for the Holy Spirit to speak to you about His grace being poured out in our lives and the faith that He wants to exist inside you and the works that you cannot do to attain this grace, but the works that He wants you to do, that He has for you to do, that He's prepared for you to do. The first big idea of our, of our passage is, is that grace is a gift, not a reward. Grace is a gift, not a reward. There's something profound here that we have to uh, understand. Christianity is not a self-improvement religion. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to make ourselves better. That's, that, 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 that is not Christianity. Almost every religion has within it some sense of trying to be better. But Christianity is not for people to, to provide self-improvement or self-help. It is actually a faith that is practiced that believes in the transformative work of God's grace. A transformation that happens inside of us because God's grace begins to be settled on us. And I think, it, I think it's so important to see that this is what Jesus had in mind. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. In other words, God became flesh to show us what living as a 
<laughs> hey, hey, check, watch this. Jesus came, Jesus came to show us what living was really like. God's idea of living. He came in the flesh to show us what living in grace is really like. Living in the love of his father. Living in the, the kindness of his father, living in the obedience of his father, living in the miracles of his father, living in the compassion of his father, and of the work of the spirit that, worked, that went through him to all who were in need. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. Ephesians 1, 7, which is in the same letter that we're studying right here, earlier, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. Paul talks about grace a lot in Ephesians. It's like 11 different mentions about grace throughout the letter. Grace is a big deal, but I don't think we get it or we misunderstand it. We get confused. The writer of Amazing Grace, the song, have you ever, you ever heard his story? John Newton. He was a terrible man. His mother died at the age of six. His stepmother abused him till age 11. He went to live with his father on a ship. Started working on a ship and, and, and really never left. Continued to be mistreated. He, he, he was, and that mistreatment caused him to reject any authority. And, and he was a difficult person to put up with. The story, his story unfolds and he ends up being pushed off of a ship and into the Royal Navy, forced into it because of just the inability for people to deal with him. He deserts. He leaves the Royal Navy, and, 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 and then he ends up in West Africa, gets involved in the slave trade. He becomes a captain in the disgusting and deplorable activity of mistreating humanity. When he wrote the song, Several years later, he had a conversion experience at, the, at a moment when a, a ship was about to sink. <laughs> and he had a conversion experience. Later on, he says, yes, that was the moment I, I, I really got in touch with God, but I'm not sure I was living like he wanted me to until later. When he wrote the first words, the line of the song, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. One of the most famous songs in all of America. In all the world, really. It saved a wretch. It wasn't hyperbole. He was a terrible person. And it, and it took a long time for God's grace to saturate his soul. There was a, there was a process and a journey that he went through that was pretty amazing. Do you know, you know what the name of the song was when he first wrote it? The name of the song, it's a crazy name, Faith's Review and Expectation. <laughs> amazing grace is so much better. <laughs> Sometimes I fear that we look at grace with, through the lens of a, a title of this song. In a theological terms, we try to break it down and we try to understand it theologically when really God wants us to understand that it is a gift and that it is, it is his favor and you, 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 there is never an end to his grace. To illustrate this, one of my favorite stories 
is Les Miserables. Fantastic, classic. Les Miserables is a, is a play, is a book, is a work. Uh, uh, I mean, people know the story the world over, but there's a scene in, the, in one of my favorite movies, and it shows Jean Valjean in a moment in front of a bishop. He's an ex-convict. He served 19 years in prison, and he's, and, he's, and he's just getting out, and he's on his way to somewhere. He has no place to stay, and, and he finds himself at this bishop's house, and the bishop welcomes him in and feeds him and gives him a bed, and he returns the favor by stealing his silver. I want you to watch the scene here. I want you to see something. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. 
now I give you back to God. Yeah, I think that's worth clapping over. You know, every time I see that scene, it affects me. Because Jean Valjean did not see himself as anything but a convict, a violator. He didn't see himself as anything except a person who would not be accepted or loved. And this moment, this act transforms him and he goes, his, his life becomes completely different as a result of this one bishop's act. And the story unfolds between this man who has experienced grace and the man who is consumed with the law. If you've never read the book, you need to read it. Never watch the play, you need to go. This is a movie with, who's that guy, who's that actor? Liam Neeson. He's fantastic. And this is a, 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 an incredible story that I think helps us understand this idea that grace shapes our identity. It's your next fill in the blank. Grace shapes our identity. People misunderstand uh, what grace is. They confuse it with mercy. And I, I, one, one person has said, mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace is getting what we do not deserve. In other words, in other words, mercy is this idea of we didn't get punishment, right? I deserve punishment, but I, I'm not going to get it punishment. That's mercy, and, and certainly Christ in his mercy, in his kindness, that he, he, he relieves us from punishment, but that, that's not really the, the whole story. Sometimes we think that that's it. Like, I'm, you know... <laughs> The, 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 we're just the, as Christians, we're just the same as the rest of the world. It's just that we're forgiven. That's only half the story. It's true, but that's not the end of the story. Not only do I not have to suffer in prison, but I get candlesticks as well. <laughs> I get 2,000 francs for the road, for the journey that changes my life. Grace is is getting what we don't deserve, which strictly means favor. When you ask somebody, well, somebody who's been in Sunday school, what does grace mean? They'll say, it means unmerited favor, which is incorrect, by the way. It just means favor. Grace equals, it's the, the definition of the word is favor. It is unmerited because you can't do anything for it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's not a reward for good behavior. So many people are wrapped up in their behaviors as the, 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 the problem with their Christianity. Grace came to fix that. Grace came to cover that. What are you saying, Pastor Ross? Are you, are you saying that, I mean, we just get to do whatever we want to do and God's grace covers it? Man, I know a lot of people who say that. And what I would say is, yes, you can do anything you want to do. <laughs> you can make any decision you want to make 
But grace is like air. It's like air. And you can refuse to breathe it in. And if you re- it is plentiful. It is everywhere. God's grace is everywhere ready for you to breathe it in. But you can refuse to breathe it in and then you will die. You refuse to breathe it in then you will somehow lose the ability to function. Grace is unlimited and overwhelming. John 8 tells the brilliant story of a woman who was caught in adultery and the religious leaders throw her down at Jesus' feet and they're trying to trap him, the Bible says. And, and they say, the law says that you, that this woman must be stoned. What do you say? This woman must be stoned for her activities. I've always wondered where the other guy was. Where's, anyway. Here's this woman. The law says you deserve to be stoned. So they're trying to trap him. If Jesus says, let her go, then he's violating the law, right? And so so it's it's a sticky moment for Jesus. But Jesus is so brilliant. He's a genius. Under the power of the Holy Spirit and the influence of his father, he he says this. He doesn't say, um, uh, just let her go. He says, the law says that we should stone her, so whoever is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. I mean, you can see them there. They're like... (laughs) And as... It dawns on them what Jesus is saying. One by one, the Bible says, they let go of their rocks and then they leave. And Jesus kneels down before her and says, woman, where are your accusers? Where's where's the people condemning you? She says, they're gone. And he says, so brilliant, go in sin no more. So he covers both sides of the spectrum. He says, he says uh, she, should be, she, she should be stoned, but she doesn't have to be stoned. She doesn't have to be punished. But now Jesus says, okay, now I want you to walk in the grace that you've now received. There's favor here. And as, and as people wrestle with grace and they wrestle with what it means and, and what people, I don't, Okay, controversial statement. I don't think people really get what grace is until they come face to face with their own sinfulness. In other words, people who don't understand their own sinfulness often don't understand grace. And, and so, and, and so they, they become harsh, legalistic people demanding things from someone else, demanding that people live up to a standard. Jesus wants us to surpass the standard of the scriptures. You can read all about it in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you've heard don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't lust in your heart. You've heard, don't commit, a, don't commit murder, but I tell you, don't get angry. 
This is, grace, grace has a higher standard, but grace is so much more loving and kind. It, it relieves you of the burden of trying to produce it on your own. We don't have time to look at Romans, but if you want to look at it at another time, you will see Paul wrestling with this idea that here we are, it says sin abounds. If sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And then he starts chapter six with, well, since grace abounds whenever there's sin present, then man, we should just keep on sinning. Okay, interesting thought. The premise of when, where, wherever sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That's an that's a interesting concept. So it's true. Wherever sin is, grace is, is all around. It's pushing. It's, it, God is pushing his way in. But, the, but Paul says, no, you, you don't sin more in order to make grace more plentiful. You have to see yourself through the eyes of grace, through your uniting with Christ. I have to go there. Verse, uh, here, here, here's, what, here's what Romans 6, 1 says. It says this. <clears throat> it says, well then, should we keep on sinning that God can show, can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, since we have died to sin. In other words, we, now, now we have life in Christ, but sin no longer controls us. How can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten? Everybody say forgotten. forgotten. If you're looking at your Bible, I want you to underline that word forgotten because here's the problem. We forget who we are. And that's the wrestling match with sin. That's the wrestling match with grace. Grace defines you. And once you, once you um, uh, give in to, to sinfulness or once you dabble in an area of your life that you know should not be touched, you know better, there's only, there's only two options. Once you dabble, once you, okay, how many Christians we got in here? Okay, never mind. <laughs> how many people have ever sinned? Okay, right? Don't raise your hand now. <laughs> Do you think you might sin again? How many perfect, I get, how many perfect people in the room? Your wife's not in here? She is close, but still not perfect. The, the, so, here, so here's the point. Do we need God's grace? We need it over and over and over again. So how do you receive it? How do you receive it? Faith is the way you receive it. It's kind of tricky here because if grace is like air, faith is, breath faith is the inhale. Faith is inhaling what Christ has, has provided for us. And as we inhale it, faith is not a work of our own thoughts. Faith is relational. Faith is not information that we have to memorize. It is relational. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews eleven six 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, those who are earnestly seeking after him. 
developing a relationship with him. Our faith is not based in an outcome. A lot of people talk about faith for things. Faith is not for things to happen. Faith is a response. It is an inhaling of God's grace. And as you inhale, what happens is it binds you to Christ. Faith is a binding idea. It attaches you. When Jesus freed that woman who was caught in adultery, he was freeing her from the chains, from the chains and bondage of the law and her own sin. The law was helping us discover sin, but he releases her from the chains of sin, but then he, he, he embraces her. He embraces her with his arms of love and kindness. And, and as she goes and says, and, and he says, go and sin no more, she responds with incredible gratitude. Can you, don't you wish we could see how she left that place and what the look on her face was like? What the dynamics that were happening, she breathed in the grace and put her faith in Christ. You better believe that she followed after him. There was a, there's a story about a woman, another woman, who poured out perfume on Jesus' feet in Luke 7. And in that story, this woman has put her faith in Christ, and she realizes that Jesus is somebody special. He's more than a prophet. He's, more, he's, he's, he's a man that she's pouring out her heart to, so grateful for who he is and what he, how his love has transformed her life. And, 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 and he's sitting across the table from a, a guy named Simon. And Simon is a, Simon's a Pharisee. And the Pharisee is looking at him, and Jesus, this, this, he's looking at this woman, and, and the Bible says he's thinking to himself, this guy's a fraud. You know why? Because if he knew how sinful this person was, if he knew how sinful he, she was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. It's so interesting. I think there's a, the wrestling match of grace is that we, we somehow think that Grace runs out when sin enters the picture. It doesn't. Here's the trigger for how grace, how faith, faith, is, in, faith is the inhale, and the way faith is, is expressed is through repentance. Repentance. Repentance is a lifelong process, people. I know, I know, you and I, we keep thinking, man, I wish I'd stop dealing with this or that or that. It seems like I should be past this by now. Oh, here's a new, it seems like I dealt with this thing. Because we live in a broken world and because what's going on in our lives and, and the history that we have and the, and the pressing through, what God is providing is grace so that we keep not just repeating the same sins, but we keep going through deeper levels of surrender. And repentance is the secret to that deeper level of surrender. And this woman is pouring her heart out. She's repented of her sins, and, 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 this, and the sins are no longer having a, an effect on her. Are you, are you following the story with me? And Jesus says, hey, I have a question for you, Simon. Two guys owed a lot of money. One owed a lot, one owed a little. And they were both forgiven. One guy owed a lot of money, one guy owed a little money. Which one will love more? He said, well... I guess the one who loved more. 
Jesus said, you've judged correctly because I came in here and you haven't shown me any kindness. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me well. You didn't take care of me. This woman is pouring perfume on my feet. And, 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 he, and he, it's striking because he, Jesus paints this picture for him that, that it seems like on the face of it, it says, this man didn't understand how much he was loved, right? Because Jesus says, whoever is forgiven much loves much. It kind of feels like Jesus is saying, man, you really got to sin a lot in order to experience a lot of God's love and grace. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you got to get in touch with, you got to get in touch with how much you need him, how needful we are. And as you do, something happens. I'm out of time. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the works are the wonders of God's grace. And, and here's the final verse. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Grace means a whole new way of working with Jesus. A whole new way of working with Jesus. We think we can get stuff done without Jesus. What, what grace does is it's, it's favor to do everything that he's given us to do. Grace is the thing that actually pours out of our lives and accomplishes the works that he wants to establish. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. That's an instrument of work. That's an instru- instrument of, of working with him. Jesus has a different way of working than we do. And the way we work with Jesus, he changes the whole landscape. We're no longer working in our flesh. We're working in the spirit. And that's a whole different thing. That's a life of rest. That's a life of confidence. That's a life of sitting down, of being seated in him. That's a life of of taking a load off and not being burdened. And so how do you surrender to God's grace? Here's three ideas. By repenting quickly and willingly. Repenting quickly and willingly. The secret to God going deeper in your life is having a heart of repentance, not being stubborn, not, not saying, no, I, I, don't, I don't have that problem anymore, or, or saying, I can't seem to conquer this thing in my life. I give up. That's the plan of the enemy for you. I can't seem to overcome this history, so forget it. It's over. Listen, as long as you're still breathing, there's grace for you. It's all around you. All all repentance is is saying, yes, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I, I surrender everything. I repent. As soon as you realize you're not living as he designed you to, as soon as you li- realize you're, you're disassociating from Christ, not uniting with him, as soon as you realize that, you've got you to repent quickly and, posit- and, and, and willingly because it's the most positive word in the whole Bible. It changes everything in a moment. Number two, by believing that Jesus is enough for me. Jesus has everything I need. I don't need to fill my life with anything else. I need Jesus. I need more of him. Number three, by serving others out of the overflow. Everybody say overflow of Christ's work in me. The problem with good works is we think they come from us. 
They can only come from the grace that is in us and Christ in us. The work is getting him in. It's easy then to exhale the works that Christ wants us to do.